Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Thursday, February 13th, the morning after the Sedin's jersey numbers have gone to the rafters in Rogers Arena, and Jacob Markstrom has set a franchise record for most saves in a Canucks shutout with 49, a 49-save performance uh, blanking the Chicago Blackhawks at Rogers Arena last night. Uh, a very special evening. Uh, a fantastic, fantastic pregame ceremony full of emotion. That was a celebration not just of the Sedin twins, but really of that entire era of Canucks hockey, which is, bar none, the best era in team history. Uh, you know, it, it was so fantastic to see all these guys come back from that 2011 team and and teams of that era, you know, Matthias Oland was not on the team in 2011, neither was Marcus Naslund, but those guys were all in attendance and and good to see Matthias Oland again, looking like a a silver fox. We have not seen him in these parts for quite a while, but uh, a very important player in the history of this franchise as well. You know, good to see a lot of faces from the past, a lot of, a lot of faces who have beefs with this franchise now, who have beefs with, more specifically, perhaps this current management group or this ownership reg- uh, group as well. I was going to say regime. I guess it's an ownership uh, group and a management regime. I got my terminologies mixed up there. That's neither here nor there. Um, just a fantastic evening. You know, it, it speaks to the power of the Sedin twins that what could have been a night full of drama, what could have been a night full of, uh, you know, uh, How's this guy going to handle it? What's going to happen here? Whether it's Trevor Linden or Ryan Kessler or Mike Gillis, all sorts of guys who saw their times with this franchise come to tumultuous ends, realize that, you know, whatever beef that I might have with Jim Benning, whatever beef that I might have with Francesco Aquilini, uh, they are not necessarily permanent fixtures of this organization. The Canucks are bigger than the people who run the team. And that is, you know, it's true. It absolutely is true that the Canucks are bigger than Francesco Aquilini. They can exist without him. They existed before him. They will exist after him should he ever decide to sell the team. Um, that they could put those beefs aside, that they could put whatever pettiness might exist in their hearts that would uh, keep them from wanting to be involved with uh, ownership or management, that they would put all of that to the side and come together to celebrate the careers of the two best Vancouver Canucks in the history of the franchise. There's really no other way to put it uh, when you look at what they accomplished over the course of their surely Hall of Fame careers. I would be shocked if the Twins are not uh, inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame for kind of all the reasons that I went over uh, on the last episode of this show when I talked about the fact that what they accomplished as twin brothers who not only played for the same team for their entire careers, but did so at the highest level, won MVP trophies, won scoring titles, uh, took the team to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Did they win a championship? No, but there are tons of great players in the sport. There are tons of Hall of Fame players who do not win championships. Um, That's just the nature of a team game when you play on a roster that has you know, 20 players a night, one guy is not able to carry the team all the way to victory in the way that, you know, that might be possible in the NBA, for example. There are great players who do not win titles 
and the Sedins are two of them. They still had incredible careers because they are they are a singularity within the entire sporting culture. And I saw just the stupidest tweets imaginable yesterday uh, after James Myrtle, who I think lives to troll Canucks fans on Twitter at this point, posted a poll asking if the uh, if the Sedins are Hall of Famers. It was a runaway uh, yes vote. I think it had you know something like 79% of the vote um, and thousands upon thousands of people voting in that poll. But the replies for people saying that they shouldn't make it in, you know, uh, the replies basically saying if you if you took a franchise uh, style player, if you took you know whoever you want to say Joe Thornton, let's say, uh, I think another surefire Hall of Famer, we can all agree. And gave him a twin of himself. Uh, you know, say there was a, a, a Bob Thornton who played with him for his entire career. He made, there were there were people online last night saying that if you if you doubled every elite player and let them play with themselves, what they would accomplish together uh, would far exceed what Henrik and Daniel accomplished together. Which is basically saying if you removed the thing that makes the Sedin special, they wouldn't be special. First of all, I disagree with the overall point that Henrik Sedin is not one of the most skilled passers of his generation and only benefited from playing with his twin brother. I strongly disagree with that. But it kind of just sets aside what does make the Sedins surefire Hall of Famers. The fact that they are so unique that we have never seen anything like that before and we will never see anything like it again. And... um. You know, we will see, I think, ceremonies on the level of what we got to witness before this game got going. Uh, it will take a while. It will take a very long while. But, you know, you had a guy like Troy Stetcher in the post game last night already acknowledging the fact that, you know, was asked, is it sort of surreal to you to think that you got to play with those guys? He said, yes, you know, that I that I got to play with the legends that I grew up watching. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Troy said that he had watched uh, game one of the Dallas series from 2007, the night before the game, and uh, that it brought back all kinds of memories as if he was watching it live for the very first time. Uh, But he also said, you know, yeah, it's crazy that I get to play with legends, that I got to play with legends like them, but, you know, ask me in 20 years and I'll say it's crazy that I got to play with legends like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. He also referred to Hughes as, uh, you know, a Norris contender as well. So, uh, Troy Stetcher very high on the abilities of his teammates, his young teammates, but deservedly so because, like, yeah, we're going to have some more jersey retirement ceremonies down the line here, you would think. You know, I, we joked last week on the show, I can't even remember who I was talking with, Daniel Wagner, I believe, that you can probably already pencil in Quinn Hughes's jersey retirement ceremony for, you know, 2040, assuming uh, the earth is still turning at that point. And it's not a far-fetched thing to believe, really. If he stays here for a significant chunk of his career, never mind all of it, and this team kind of delivers on the promise that they seem poised to deliver on here over the next however long. You know, if they can do those things, if Elias Pettersson stays here for a huge chunk of his career, if he signs an eight-year contract extension and then sticks around beyond that, we are probably going to be retiring number 40 at some point down the line. But way way down the line. And that, I think, is something that we need to uh, appreciate about last night as well, is that, 
Yes, we've seen a number of jersey retirement ceremonies here. If you are a fan of a certain age, you know, around 30 or older, basically, in the last 10, 15 years, you've seen Trevor Linden, Pavel Bure, and Marcus Nasland all go up and join Stan Smeal in the rafters. Last night, you got to see two more, number 22 and number 33. But, you know, last night, you saw a full third of the jerseys that this franchise has ever retired. And yes, you can make the argument that a team like the Canucks, who've never won a Stanley Cup, who've never won a championship, should not retire any jerseys at all. They should all be Ring of Honor level or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know that I agree with that. You know, I I don't really know that uh, it's, it's... I think a team that is a 50-year career or a 50-year history in the league has a right to honor that history however they choose to. And if there are key players from every era, you know, hey, we might see. It might not be 20 years. You might not have to wait until the careers of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes have come to an end. We might get to see Roberto Luongo's old number one go up and join that crew in the rafters before too long here. But if that doesn't happen, then it is going to be quite a while. You know, it is going to be a long time. Only six jerseys have been retired in 50 years of this franchise. And as I mentioned, five of those jersey retirements have come basically in the last 12 years or so. So uh, there have been a bunch of them lately. It might be a long wait before we get a ceremony like we saw last night again. And that's part of what makes the night so special. You know, the the careers of the Sedins are singular. The Sedins themselves are singular. And... Two guys that have the utmost respect of all of their peers uh, don't come around very often. Two guys that have the utmost respect of every single person in this city and province don't come around very often. Even Roberto Luongo is not one of those guys. Trevor Linden might not even be one of those guys at this point. I talked at length on the last show here about how I believe Trevor has rehabilitated his image, that he is no longer... Uh, you know, to blame for the foibles while he was president, perhaps, that he's redeemed himself in the eyes of many. There are some for whom he has not redeemed himself, uh, you know. And Tre- if Trevor Linden is not universally beloved in this province, it just goes to show you how hard it is to achieve that status. But the Sedins are surely there. One guy who is not there, but at the very least is uh, trying to perhaps, I don't know if he'll ever get there, but... He's trying. He's putting an effort in. Uh, was a guy who uh, was greeted by the audience last night for the first time in a very long time. And it was, a, it was a moment on the level, I think, of the ovation that Todd Bertuzzi received at the home opener this season. Was it, you know, thunderous applause on the level of what we saw for Todd Bertuzzi back at the home opener? No. But very few ovations do achieve that level that Todd received. This was still a very notable moment from a night full of them, from a ceremony full of them. And I'm talking, of course, about Ryan Kessler. And I know that there are people in this city who were upset, perhaps, that uh, all of the arguing, all of the online discourse, all of the, you know, the narrative, as it were, was centered around things other than Henrik and Daniel last night or yesterday in the day or Tuesday, perhaps, you know, as we got closer to Sedine Knight here, um, that everyone's focused on how's Ryan Kessler going to be received, that everyone was focused on 
Trevor Linden kind of uh, giving some relatively unguarded interviews. You know, he still doesn't come out and say the things that we want to hear him say, uh, but he is... uh, he does a good job of alluding to the issues that I think we all know are there, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but I do want to spend some time talking about Ryan Kessler. This is something that uh, I've talked about with a handful of guests on the show over the last couple weeks, but, you know, I I don't think... I think people read very cynically into Kessler's so-called apology tour. There is a line of thinking in this market that says that Ryan looked at the uh, adulation and love and outpouring of respect and so on, et cetera, that went to Alex Burroughs when Burroughs went into the Ring of Honor earlier this season. And people think that uh, he just wants that. He he saw Burroughs get something great, a great moment, and, and he's envious and jealous and wants to do whatever he can to cravenly make it up to this market and make sure that he gets a night where he is celebrated like that. Um, I really think that is a deeply cynical read of anyone's intentions because, look, Ryan Kessler is an older guy now. He is in his late 30s. He is not the, you know, uh, (sighs) cocky, arrogant boy and I know he was in his you know, mid-20s or late 20s when he left here uh, towards the tail end of his prime as he went to Anaheim that people might think that you know, he, he was still a mature enough man to know what he was doing. And yes, that's true. But when you're an athlete, you don't necessarily grow up and mature at the same rate as a normal human being. That's just the fact of living a, a life that kind of keeps you in a bubble, so to speak. So yes, was Ryan Kessler an arrogant jerk on his way out the door here in Vancouver, I think he would be the first person to tell you yes. Is Ryan Kessler an arrogant jerk right now? I don't think so. Personally, I don't think so. I think he's a guy that recognizes, exactly as Roberto Luongo does, that the best, most meaningful time of his career was right here in Vancouver. And you can say, well, he should have realized that at the time, but of course he wouldn't. Why would he think that it's... Prime of his career was already over when he was leaving in his athletic prime to go pursue championships somewhere else. I really don't think you can begrudge a player for the for the desire that Kessler had. You know, you might begrudge the way he went about it. You might begrudge the way that he, you know, cried foul and acted like he was, you know, just having such a hard time and had been so hard done by by the franchise that just wouldn't trade him or whatever, that he tried to play the Roberto Luongo song and dance after seeing it worked for Lou when Lou, you know, had completed his underdog story, his, you know, come from behind Louis Erickson sort of uh, renaissance after being a divisive figure in this market who was universally loved by the time that he left it. He saw that song and dance worked for Roberto Luongo. He tried it out for himself. It didn't work. Because he had not been hard done by. He was given everything. He was played, you know, he got the third most minutes of any forward in the league. And I bring that up quite often, but I think that's part of why people are so unforgiving. You know, you didn't have any grievances. Well, he did. He did have a grievance. And that grievance was, I don't want to stay with a team that is going through a rebuilding period. He went to the gold medal game of the Olympics, and lost. He went to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final and lost. And you can make fun of him for crying in both of those moments, 
But to me, that's a guy who really deeply cared about winning, and you could see it in the way that he played in the best years of his career here in Vancouver. The reason that he endeared himself to us as a market, the reason that he was my favorite player when I was watching that team growing up is that he was giving it all on a night-in and night-out basis, especially coming out of the West Coast Express era. The final year of that era before it got blown up, like 05-06 was a miserable team to watch because they had the talent. They still were a very skilled group, and yet they could not put the effort together on a night-in and night-out basis, except a handful of players that year, 05-06, really stood out as guys who were giving it their all every single time. Ryan Kessler was one of those guys. That's how he cemented himself as an early favorite of mine and only continued to prove it for the remainder of his Vancouver career. You know, that's why we liked him, was that he was passionate. He wanted to win. He would do anything to win. Well, he saw the writing on the wall. That wasn't going to happen in Vancouver. So, of course, he would want to leave. Enough time should have passed by now that we can look back at that decision and be fine with it. Because the Canucks could have gotten good pieces if they played their cards right, had they not asked for Lucas Pisa, had they not, you know, zeroed in on toughness and physicality on the back end. They easily could have gotten Shea Theodore. They easily could have gotten Sammy Vatanen. And if they'd done that, and if they'd held on to Jared McCann, you know, we'd look back on that time and say, well, He handcuffed the team, but look what they got. They got Shea Theodore and they got Jared McCann, two very promising pieces on this young rebuilding team. But they didn't do that. They asked for Lucas Pisa, and they traded Jared McCann away. What do you have to show from the Ryan Kessler trade at this point? Really, uh, I guess just Brandon Sutter and half of Tanner Pearson, let's say. That's not a lot to show for uh, a trade for of a guy like Kessler, but that's on management. That's not on Kessler. You can't hold Kessler responsible for that. I just think, you know, you should look at a performance like the one he put up against the Nashville Predators in 2011 because that performance is every bit as important. I said this with David Quadrelli when he was on the show a couple weeks ago. Every bit as important in that run as Burroughs slain the dragon. In fact, it's more important because that was a sustained performance over a six-game series that was the most impressive playoff performance that Barry Trotz said he had ever seen. At the time, anyways. Maybe it's been surpassed by something that uh, Alex Ovechkin did on the Capitals' run to the Cup uh, that Trotz was behind the bench for. But at the time, the coach of the Nashville Predators was like, ah, how can I be mad that my team got knocked out? I just watched Superman for six games, basically. So that performance is alone worthy of the Ring of Honor, coupled with a Selkie trophy, coupled with you know a 40-goal season as a second-line center. He was part of what made that team so potent. And in fact, Henrik and Daniel spoke to that in their speeches last night said a great team needs internal competition to push it, and that Kessler brought that on a nightly basis because you didn't know who the best scoring option was going to be on a nightly basis. It could have been Henrik and Daniel. It could have been the second line with 
Kessler and Demetra and whoever else was playing on it, whether it was Matt Sundin for that season or uh, any number of players, I guess. Michael Samuelson had some time there. Mason Raymond had some time there. Um, Ryan Kessler was part of what made that team the best team of the modern era, and it frankly is that. I have made that case before, but when you look at it in terms of goals for, goals against, power play, uh, you know, the penalty kill was number one until Malhotra got injured, and it only dipped to third by the time the season was over. That team led in every single statistical category, essentially. And that doesn't happen. The fact that they didn't win the Cup, yeah, it's sad. It's upsetting. But they were great. And we got to witness something incredibly special with that entire era, and it was on full display. Uh on Wednesday night at Rogers Arena, and the fans appreciated it. The fans gave Kessler the ovation that he deserved, and he was grateful to receive it. I don't know that you can look at the emotions on that guy's face when he got the reaction that he did, uh, when he walked out on the ice in his suit and took his place with his former teammates and think, this is a cynical guy who is just wanting attention. He appreciates what this city and what this team meant to his career and his young life. We should appreciate what he gave to us as well. On the Linden front, he went on Sportsnet 650, uh, I believe yesterday, maybe two days ago, talked about his relationship. It was on Tuesday afternoon. Talked about his relationship with the team now. Uh, you know, He talked about this a couple times on Monday as well, there being some trepidation, some nervousness about returning to the building and walking in and uh, seeing people that he might not have the best relationships with anymore, seeing people that he does still have great relationships with. He said he still regularly goes for coffee with Travis Green and thinks Travis deserves an enormous amount of credit for the success of this team because this team's best players are young players and they are playing the right way, and that is because of coaching. And that's a very solid, sturdy, agreeable compliment. Uh, he's right about that. He also said that Judd Brackett deserves an enormous amount of credit for this because Judd was the guy who wanted Pedersen, and the scouts had been overruled, basically, earlier in their uh, regime uh, when it was management's decision to take Jake Vertanen, uh, when perhaps the scouts were a little higher on William Nylander. Linden did not want that situation to go down again. He said, I will put this decision in the hands of the guys who have watched these guys play enough times to know the difference between these two players. He basically subtly threw some shade at John Weisbrod, who might only catch a player twice or three times over the course of a season and become completely enamored with what he saw in those two games versus a scout like Judd, who watches these guys for perhaps weeks at a time and gets to know everything about them. And if not Judd, then certainly someone else in the Canucks' overall amateur scouting department. He also said that he has not spoken to Jim, that he doesn't speak to Jim. And was asked why that is, uh, if there's bad blood there, said, Jim is just, you know, a busy guy, and so am I, and that's all I'll say about that. You can read between the lines why they haven't spoken. This guy's going out for coffee on the regular with Travis Green, but he doesn't have time to, uh, you know, even shoot uh, Jim Benning so much as a text message. There's a reason for that. The knife is uh, deep in his back, and he has not gotten over that. So... Of course, that's going to be a story. There were people freaking out about how is this the story on the eve of Sedin Jersey retirement night. The Canucks could be in the Stanley Cup final again. And if Trevor Linden gave an interview 
uh, before Game 7 and said, you know, Jim Bannon and I don't ever speak. I can't stand the guy. Read between the lines here. That would be a big story at that time, too. It doesn't matter what is going on with the team. The intrigue and what we don't know, what hasn't been said from a very uh, cagey, concealed Trevor Linden, a guy who has done some interviews here in this city over the last year and a half since he was ousted, but has not at any point really spoken openly about what happened and probably um, won't for a very long time if he ever does. He might be too classy to ever stoop to that level. I have a feeling perhaps as the years go on, we're going to get more little nuggets like this about his true feelings about the people who uh, you know, forced him out of his role for essentially wanting to do the right thing. And if Judd Brackett winds up leaving this organization at the end of this season because Jim and John want to supersede Brackett's uh, judgment like they had before, like they uh, were overruled in doing when Brackett decided to pick Pedersen, when Jim and John wanted to pick Cody Glass, I think it's a huge mistake. And I think I think if Judd Brackett leaves this organization, people will start to come around on the idea that the wrong guy got ousted Trevor Linden should still be running this team, and it should be perhaps Jim Benning and John Weisbrod who are out of jobs. But uh, maybe we're not ready for that conversation just yet. We'll see what happens with Brackett uh, over the course of the summer. Of course, uh, I have not really spoken about the game itself at all. A spectacular performance from really just two players. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Brandon Sutter had about his best game maybe ever as a Canuck, perhaps. That might be pushing it. He's had some decent outings in the past. But the kind of performance that really makes you appreciate what this team has in terms of depth as it barrels towards a playoff berth right now. Because in an ideal world with a perfect, healthy lineup, Brandon Sutter is playing wing on your fourth line. He is, you know, taking spot duty alongside Tyler Mott and Jay Beagle. That's a healthy, ideal lineup. But... In the absence of a Brock Besser, in the absence of uh, a, a couple other guys up front right now as well, you can put Brandon Sutter as your second-line winger. You can put Brandon Sutter as the trigger man on your top power play. And it works. It worked on that night anyways. It worked last night against Chicago. Chicago who, I can't believe that team put up 49 shots on the Canucks last night. And it's because Vancouver just had a slow start. Perhaps they were letting the emotions of the moment get to them a little bit. I know people say there's no excuse when warm-ups took place after the ceremony and not before. But, you know, maybe you're just in your head a little bit about the power of what you just watched, and it takes you a little time to get going. It certainly took the Canucks a little time to get going. They were asleep for about the first 15 minutes of that first period, which certainly explains uh, how the... Uh, Blackhawks were able to build such an edge in shots, but still uh, perhaps maybe a bit much as far as what they fired towards Jacob Markstrom. Sutter with two assists, one goal. It was the empty netter in the end as he uh, had kind of supplanted uh, Louie on the insurance line at the end of that game. But that's exactly the kind of performances that he can give you. Do I want Brandon Sutter on this team perhaps next season or the year after? Yeah, probably not. But in the meantime, if you can't get rid of him, and you might not be able to get rid of him next year either, he can still give you quality depth. And I think that's what we've come around to with Louis Erickson as well. Are these guys performing to the level that was expected of them when they were brought in? No. Are they overpaid? Yes. 
Would would the cap structure of this team be better off without them? Undoubtedly. However, what they're giving you right now is quality depth options in checking and scoring roles both. And that can't be overlooked for a team that is going to, you know, maybe hit some injury troubles here and there if they want to make a bit of a run come playoff time. You might require a Brandon Sutter to do exactly what he did last night, and that's play spot duty on your top power play, something that he looked very good in doing. His playmaking was on full display. He had the primary assists on both goals. So a pretty solid outing for him, but a spectacular outing for Jacob Markstrom. And look, 49 shots doesn't really tell the story of the game because a lot of them were perimeter chances from the outside that weren't particularly dangerous. But there were also an enormous number of second-chance rebound opportunities, third, fourth chances as well. And Markstrom is putting on performances like that on a frequent enough basis that international, but more importantly, East Coast media is starting to notice. Yet Carly Agro on the Sportsnet postgame show after the game came to a close say that Jacob Markstrom has to be the front runner for the Vesna right now, which, thank you, Carly. Nice to hear. You also have people, Elliot Friedman, saying if he could cast his vote for the Calder right now, it would be Quinn Hughes in first place. Thank you, Elliot. It took some coordinated harassment, basically, last year and the year before for uh, these guys out east in Toronto and, and further east than that to start acknowledging what the young guys were doing here in Vancouver, what what the star players on this team are capable of doing. And I think it would be, frankly, incredible if Jacob Markstrom was able to do the one thing that Roberto Luongo was never able. And, okay, maybe two things. Yes, it would be incredible if Jacob Markstrom won the Stanley Cup as well. But Roberto Luongo never won the Vesna. Here in Vancouver, he never won it in Florida either. He should have won the Vesna in 2007, his first year here. I don't think there's any question about that at this point. Uh, the performances that he gave on a nightly basis, dragging that team that could not score all the way to the second round of the playoffs, uh, ducking out to the eventual cup champs, those Anaheim Ducks. There is no shame in that. He was incredible that year. And he played like 78 games, 76 games. He started an unbelievable number of games that season. Did things that you will not ever see in the modern era. You won't see goalies playing 78 games in a season anymore. You know, Brodeur played 78 that year. I think Luongo had 76. That's ridiculous. We'll never see that again. Uh, but Luongo got screwed that year in much the same way that uh, Daniel Sedin got screwed out of the heart. Uh, in 2012, you know, um, but <sighs> if Jacob Markstrom could win the Vesna, like, uh, especially after everything that he's gone through this year, that might be, that would, that might be one of the most incredible stories that we've ever seen in this city. And we have seen some incredible stories. The Sedins, Alex Burroughs, you know, there have been some unbelievable underdog stories here in this city. That would be right up there, and he deserves it. He deserves to be in contention right now. I told you yesterday to do coordinated harassment, uh, 
campaigns against anyone who tells you that Quinn Hughes doesn't deserve the Calder. Maybe we need to start doing that with Jacob Markstrom and the Vesna as well because uh, wouldn't that be something? And um, who knows? Maybe maybe when it's all said and done 20 years down the line when we're penciling in jersey retirements, maybe it's Markstrom as well uh, as Hughes and Pedersen uh, because you know what? Roberto Luongo certainly deserves it. I would put Roberto Luongo in. Uh, I would put that number one right up there, and I would put that number three and number 17 in the ring of honor if it was up to me. But alas, it is not. What it is, however, is the end of our program for today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I wanted to be back with you yesterday uh, with an interview with a former teammate of the Sedins who played with them during their careers to get some firsthand knowledge about what the guys were like. And I think... Uh, if you know me and know the people that I would know professionally, you can probably figure out who that person is. Uh, it wasn't able to come together before the game last night, uh, but I'm still working on that before the end of the week here. So fingers crossed that it does eventually happen. Uh, I would really like to do that for you. But uh, I got some I got some good people lined up to have some pretty compelling conversations with before the Canucks face off with the Anaheim Ducks on Sunday, I like to think anyway. So look forward to that coming up later in the week here, tomorrow and the day after and the day after that, of course. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, if you want to head on over to the iTunes store, the Apple Podcasts app, I guess, and leave me a rating and a review. Uh, I think Spotify is the only place you cannot review the show, so if you listen to the show in any other place other than iTunes, you can leave me a, a review there as well. I always appreciate reading what you guys have to say, and it's just a, a nice little, you know, it's free therapy for me to read nice things about myself and all the work that I put into doing this show. So I appreciate it. Uh, and I know that a bunch of people have done that lately after I've been hammering it a lot. Um, if you haven't done it yet, think about maybe doing it. Just gives me a little boost in the rankings, helps people find the show. And I like reading it personally. It's a nice thing you can do for me. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with another show, of course. And I really will be back tomorrow this time. I know I said that uh, the other day and it didn't happen. But I'm working hard on lining up some real good chats here. So you should look forward to that. Until then... I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.